Amen. Thank you, Jay. You may be seated. Sorry about that. I kept you standing. <laughs> All right. Let's go to Mark. Mark chapter 1. We'll continue our study in Mark. Um, <clears throat> we've gone the last few weeks. We have uh, uh, been uh, going through verse by verse the teaching of Mark. Those who are not familiar with what we do, we teach verse by verse through a book. Every now and then we may get topical, but uh, the majority of our teaching is expository preaching, and this is the best way to study God's Word, so that way we have no excuse to um, go around the hard things that uh, may be needed to needing to be addressed. So, we are in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, it's been exciting so far, at least for me anyways. A lot of detail, Owen's done a good job in presenting and uh, um, expounding on the, the verses that we've gone through already, verses 1 through 13. Um, so we'll continue our study here. Mark is quick, and he's, it's a fast version of the Gospels, Okay. Um, I call it the newspaper version of the gospel, right? Read all about it, right? Chunking it out, uh, these newspapers, well, those of you who are used to old paper newspapers, right? Um, now it's just, uh, uh, I'm not sure even what, how they even show up now. Is it a tweet or what is it? That, how does the news come in today, right? Uh, but anyways, I'm used to, I remember the, the young people driving by the house and throwing the newspaper, right? You wake up, go out there, get your newspaper and read it. But nowadays, I guess that's not done. So anyways, I call this the newspaper version of the gospel. It's quick. It's fast. As Owen mentioned, the word immediately is in there. Um, I went back and I looked and I thought it was around 30, but he actually uses it about 40 times. Okay, So every time we see the word immediately, it's fast. It's quick. He's moving. And we see some commentators say that this is because he is the servant uh, of God, right? He is serving God, so he's moving fast, accomplishing the Lord's will, and uh, he's trying to move through. And Mark is just showing his servant, his servitude, his her, servant, I guess his servant heart, right? So, but of those 40, 11 of them are used in chapter 1. So 25% of the word immediately is used in chapter 1. And I think that's Mark trying to kickstart this uh, gospel. And to move it quickly, he's trying to set the tone for us that this is a fast-paced gospel. It doesn't mean that we won't slow down, but to understand maybe why Mark may cut corners in different areas um, to uh, announce or discuss something is because he's trying to make a quick, fast point. So just something to think about. So another reason I believe Mark moves fast is because the audience is made up of mainly Gentiles, right, Romans. Uh, they don't really need to hear all the Jewish jargon, you know, that, that he's talked about before, right, for these people. You know, they really don't care about traditions. They're not looking at genealogies. You know, they're not looking at um, any customs, anything like that. It does, it does not pertain to this audience, the Gentiles, okay? So Mark is mostly interested in the items that they can quickly and easily um, relate to, okay? So he's trying to give them just what they need and only what they need instead of the historical information. Um, also, since Mark portrays Jesus as a servant son of God, I think this also relates well to the Greek hearers, 
okay? Since they uh, had so many false gods, and typically in some of this Greek mythology, you would see that they had children or they had sons and things like that, right? So it was easy for Mark to move quickly and portray God as the servant son of God, okay? Uh, the only true God. So now <clears throat> we have seen the messenger, right? The father sends out. If you go back and you look at verse 2 here, it says, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, okay? Who was this messenger? It is John the Baptist, right? So John the Baptist is his messenger, and the Father sends him out in front of Jesus, the Son of God. Okay, so his message was a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The messenger, John the Baptist, he was a humble servant. We saw that he was clothed uh, with a camel's hair, a simple leather belt, and he also ate locusts and honey. The messenger was a simple man coming only to accomplish what the Lord had set out for him. Okay? And his message was, his preachings, it says, if you go back and look, and um, let me see here. <clears throat> Verse 7, he says, and he was preaching, saying, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I. And I am not fit to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. It says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we see the triune nature of God in John's baptism and the other uh, text. And, uh, and so now, then Christ, after this, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and Christ now is driven to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, as we've discussed already. Okay, and he, he spends 40 days there. Okay, he's being tempted by Satan, and he passes the test. Okay, <clears throat> at the end of those 40 days, Satan left Christ. And then we see in uh, Matthew chapter 4 that the angels came to minister to Christ. And then at this point, this began his three-year ministry before he was put on the cross, okay? So Christ, his ministry was only for three years, okay? Three years. His first 30 years uh, were not ministering the way we will see him through the Gospels of Mark. So all of what you see in the Gospels and all the things that John says were done and weren't written down were done in a three-year time span. It's a lot. He was busy. That's why we see him as a man sleeping and resting and eating because he was moving fast and he had things to accomplish. Okay? So Christ's ministry was only three years, which is very, very interesting here. And um, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> she was keeping me on point. She was keeping my beat, and now she's, she's gone. <laughs> but uh, Christ is now driven to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, where he spends 40 days being tempted by Satan and passed the test, right? So then at the end of the 40 days, Satan left Christ. Angels came to minister to him. And like I said, this began his three-year ministry before he was put on the cross. Okay? So again, interesting that everything in the Gospels happened in three years and three years alone. So it's a lot of movement. Christ did a lot of work. I mean, how many of us can look back in the last three years and say, man, they just flew by fast and I feel like I got nothing accomplished, right? 
Time flies by like that. So three years is nothing. It's just a blink, right? So a blink of an eye. So anyways, this is Christ uh, before he was put on the cross. <clears throat> now, our text for today are verses 14 and 15. And they read like this. It says, Now after John had been delivered up into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today, Lord. We just thank you that um, you are in charge, Lord. We see your your sovereignty, Lord, and, and the acts of all things, Lord. We see, we'll see it here as well, Lord. And uh, we just thank you, Lord, that you are in charge. I pray that uh, the message today is simple, that it's clear, and that everybody goes home today understanding what is being taught today, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray in your name. Amen. All right. So we're only going to go over two verses, okay? Now, <clears throat> I don't know how long this will be, but it may not be very long. But again, I tried to challenge myself. Last time I was given two verses, I bombed it. So hopefully today I don't do this here. So, um, so no pressure, right? <laughs> uh-oh. Uh-oh. Okay, easy fix. All right, technology. <clears throat> okay. So, this, this section of verses is an introductory summary, okay? These two verses here. It's a shift. We see something happening. It's a transition, okay? <clears throat> it, it can be broken into three points, okay? One is, like I mentioned, to provide a transition from the ministry of John the Baptist to Jesus. The second one is to establish Galilee as the setting for Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Mark. The third point is to summarize the content of Jesus' preaching, right? The need to repent and believe in the good news of the kingdom of God. And that's what three, these two passages are doing. They give us these three points so that um, we can transition. And we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a second. So now, this is the transition to Christ. The messenger's task is complete. John the Baptist's message is now pretty much done. Christ has come. <clears throat> but we see that John needs to be eliminated so that Christ can come in and take his place. So let's take a look at the text here. It says, Now after John had been delivered up into custody, and we'll stop right there, at the beginning, the now after... Okay, that indicates a turning point in Mark's gospel. And that's how we know this is a turning point. Okay, Mark is transitioning from John to Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist is no longer mentioned anymore until chapter 6. And in chapter 6, we see the end of his life. And we'll read, we'll read that here directly. But John was the messenger, and now the center point of his message had arrived. And fulfilled his message. Okay, so at this point, they know John the Baptist is no longer needed. Okay, he came. He was sent before Christ to prepare the way. Christ is here. And so now John has to fade away so that way Christ can take his place. Okay. <clears throat> John was the bridge between the Old Testament and the arrival of Jesus Christ and the New Testament. 
Uh, I think Owen quoted this, but Luke 16, 16, it says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is proclaimed, and everyone is forcing this way into it. So we see that the law and prophets were until John, and now we see Christ beginning a new path, preaching a message of repentance, just like John. Now, there is an overlap in both John the Baptist's ministry and Jesus' ministry. But here in Mark, in this section, Mark presents them as one going and the other coming. You see that. He says, now what happened in those days, oh, sorry, verse 14. Now after John had been delivered up into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel, right? So John got arrested, Jesus comes in, and bam, we see like this, this cut, this tear right down the middle, and one ends and one starts. But that's not what actually happens here. Okay, there is an overlap of both John the Baptist and Jesus' ministry. And, but Mark is not interested in chronology, Okay, he doesn't matter the order. He's not a. He's not looking at this for a, from a chronological perspective. Okay, but he's more focused on the aspect of theology. It's a theological aspect. Okay, he wants to show a handoff to his listeners that he can uh, distinguish that so that they can distinguish the ministry of John and Jesus. He's trying to separate them. Okay, because obviously these people have probably heard about John the Baptist, but he's just saying, hey. From John the Baptist, this was his role, and now Jesus, this is his role from a theological perspective. It's not chronological because we get into the chronological aspect in chapter 6, okay? And the reason why I talk about this is because there are some people who will take this verse and say, see, the Bible's wrong. But Mark is not focused on chronology here. He's focused on theology at this point, okay? So it's real important that we understand that. So again, he wants to show the handoff to his listeners so that he can distinguish the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus. Okay, another point to this is that Mark skips over the Lord's Judean ministry. Okay, so this isn't really where the ministry of Jesus Christ begins. If we look at John 1.1 through 4.54, though we don't have to turn there, but that is the ministry, uh, that is the Lord's Judean ministry. This happened before this section here, before he goes to the Galilee. Okay, so he taught in John 1, 1, 4 through 54 to the, uh, it was his Judean ministry. And then he begins uh, with Jesus' Galilean ministry. For some reason, it was important to Mark that he would start with the ministry to the Galileans to present to his readers. Okay, now this was a period of one year and nine months. So out of the three years that we talked about Christ's ministry, out of those three years, one year and nine months was focused to the Galileans in this area. Very interesting. Okay? So this time frame in Mark is represented from the verse, okay? <clears throat> all, from this verse all the way through chapter 9, verse 50, he's in Galilee. Okay? And this is one year and nine months. Okay? So John represents the Old Covenant, and the new covenant or kingdom of God arises the ministry of Jesus. Okay? So also, people went out to hear John preach. But Jesus, we see, he goes to the people and he preaches, right? After he left the wilderness, what does it say he did? He went into Galilee, okay? <clears throat> so, 
more than likely, the hearers of the gospel had already heard of John the Baptist, as I mentioned earlier. So Mark is brief, right? He's making this a point of change. He's reminding the listeners. Um, <clears throat> we see in chapter 6 the full story of John the Baptist where he is arrested and beheaded. Let's go to uh, chapter 6. And verse 14, chapter 6 and 14. <clears throat> I'm glad that was right because my footnote said John, but it was really Mark. So, <laughs> All right, we're going to read 14 through 29. Let's look at John the Baptist. So those of you who don't know the story of John the Baptist, at this point he was arrested. Now look at this. This is six chapters later. So it's not like Mark was killed instantly when he was arrested. He was there for some time. Okay, Six chapters later, and now Mark... I mean, uh, John is here, and Mark gives us the account of John the Baptist's death. I will not get into all the details. We'll read it, but once we go through this, there are some, some really good gems in here on uh, what, what's going on with John, but we'll leave that to that day. So God's Word says this, And King Herod heard it, for his name had become well known. And people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. And that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. So they're thinking this about Jesus, what he's thinking. Okay? But others were saying he is Elijah, and others were saying he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen? For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he, made, he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now Herodias was holding a grudge against him and was wanting to put him to death and was not able. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he was keeping him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed that he used to enjoy listening to him. And a strategic day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his great men and military commanders and the leaders uh, and, and leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give it to you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And he said, the head, and she said, the head of John the Baptist. And immediately she came in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. And immediately, there's that word, the king sent an ex executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard this, they came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. And the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that had been done and taught. So we see this, John the Baptist, his ministry is done, okay? Now it sounds pretty gruesome, right, what happened? But honestly, if I was going to end my life, 
not me, but if, if the Lord was going to take my life, <laughs> I need help. <laughs> but that would be nice, right? Instant, done, quick, and fast, right? I don't want to drown. I don't want to burn. But instant death, no pain, right? John went out in a way where it was, I feel, maybe not painful. But again, um, his time was done. It was complete. After three years, the time of Christ was done. He came for three years. or He was here on earth for 33 years. But when his time was done, he's out, right? We see this, this pattern. God has set these people. He has given them a task. They've completed it. The Lord takes them home. So let's go back now to Mark chapter 1. <clears throat> so verse 14 so now after John had been delivered up into custody, okay, we'll slow down there a little bit too. Now, some or maybe most of you, in your Bibles, you'll see the phrase was arrested or and was put in prison, right? So you'll see that most of the translations I went back and I looked at, they use those two phrases, was arrested and was put in prison. But the phrase is a very passive type phrase, Okay. The Greek word is <clears throat> paradothenai, okay? Paradothenai. Used here is literally translated as was delivered over, okay? He was handed over, okay? So this is a technical term. Well, this comes from a, uh, a commentator's name is uh, Robert Stein. He says, this is a technical term in police and law court jargon for delivering up a prisoner. Here, it is better translated with a divine passive as God delivered John over. Okay? So we see that. So it says, now what had happened in those days. I'm sorry, I did that again. Now after John had been delivered up into custody, when it should maybe say a little bit better to understand it. Now after John was delivered by God to the Gentiles, or to the people of Galilee, okay? So God delivered him over. It was done again, okay? This tells us that God has complete control over John's life and ministry, okay? He has complete control. Once his job was done, God began the process to bring him home. And he used the which he typically does most of the time. He uses the evil heart of men to accomplish his work. Okay, and he used that here to bring him home. God begins the process. He's done. His message is done. He arrests him. He allows him to continue preaching to the leadership. And then eventually he is beheaded. Okay, so God is in control. But we also see this phrase and idea applied to Christ in other passages. If we turn over to chapter 9, <clears throat> chapter 9, verse 31. Hold your spot there and go to chapter 9, chapter 9, 31. Then we'll go to chapter 10 and look at another one. <clears throat> 931, he says, For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is to be what? Delivered into the hands of men. Handed over to the hands of men. And they will kill him. And then 
<coughs> he has been, uh, and when he has been killed, he will rise again three days later. Okay, this is all part of God's plan. God is handing him over. Okay, uh, we look at Mark chapter ten, verse thirty-three. Flip a page over, <coughs> maybe two. It says, "Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him, con- condemn him to death." And he will deliver him over to the Gentiles. Again, we see this same phrase. So it's not a foreign idea. We see that this is God's plan. We see God at work here, setting the stage of the, for the plan of redemption. Okay, God is in control, and we see him in action here through this word delivered. So now let's go back to Mark chapter 1. <clears throat> <clears throat> So now what happened that in those days Jesus came, oh, I did it again. Ah, let me scoop my Bible up. I keep, uh, and my Bible is broken out to two different paragraphs. So I keep going to the first break, which is chapter, verse 9. So verse 14, so now after John had been delivered up into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of John. So Galilee was a northern region of land of Israel. From a first century Jewish perspective, it was regarded as the outskirts. Located far from the religious center of Jerusalem, the fact that Jesus launched his ministry in full power in Galilee was in itself a rebuke to the apostasy and corruption that existed in Jerusalem at that time, says one commentator. <clears throat> Galilee was a cosmopolitan, or cosmopolitan, Thank you, area, cosmopolitan area. I don't know why I have, yeah. Galilee was a cosmopolitan. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, icebreaker. Anyways, Galilee. Let me go to the next sentence. It was a region <laughs> where Roman and Greek and Jew mixed and intermingled. I'm blushing, sorry. <laughs> so this was equally a Jewish and Gentile area. It was considered to be like 50-50 is kind of what... Some historians say. So God's appointed time for Galilee to hear the gospel had just arrived. Imagine that. I've never thought about this until I studied this. That the gospel is here. Christ has showed up to preach the gospel. You look back at some of these um, missionaries. And when they show up to that land, it is time for them to hear the gospel. It is all set up by God, but now Galilee is being presented with the gospel. So Jesus comes into Galilee, and he is preaching what? The gospel of God. Okay? It can be better translated, preaching the good news of God. So God is the source of the good news. We look at verse 15, <clears throat> and he says, this time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. Part of this message was on repentance. John the Baptist has the same language if we look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. It says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness 
preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus now has a message of repentance. He begins, you'll see after uh, next week, we'll go into him bringing in his disciples. He begins to train them and teach them. And if we go to chapter 6, we will see him, how he's trained them in this message. John chapter 6, I mean, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6, verse 12. He says, And they went out and preached that the men should repent. So repentance is a message, is part of God's good news. It was given to John the Baptist, it was given to Christ, and Christ now is training his disciples to teach the gospel with repentance. The message of repentance is clear. You're like, right, you're like, Ray, <laughs> why are you emphasizing this? Why are you talking about repentance? Why are you showing us this? Let me tell you why. There's a group of people out there, and maybe you've heard us use this phrase from the pulpit, but it's called easy believism. Okay, everybody, anybody familiar with easy believism? Okay, let me give you an example of what this is. So, let's say I go out to the park, and I start telling people, let's say Jesus is out there at the park, and I say, Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. You're like, He's like, uh, okay, I believe. Just to get this guy off my back, okay, I believe, right? And he's like, yeah, I believe about, I know about Jesus, but yeah, I believe. So then I'll be like, oh, hallelujah, Jesus, he is, Jesus is saved. Okay? Two weeks later, Jesus is going down, and he says, you know what, I'm going to become a Mormon today. All right, perfect. He's a Mormon. But according to this easy believism theology, because once he believed and he now has the knowledge of God, he is saved forever, no matter what he does. Okay, that's easy believism. Okay, and so they don't believe in repentance. You just have to believe in who He is. But the law and the gospel, or the gospel and the law, must be preached and taught in the gospel. We see this even in First Corinthians, where the apostle Paul tells us that we must, you know, repent of our sins. Uh, we see this here, our sin. So the repentance is actually brings up the Old Testament perspective of, of understanding that God is holy and that we are sinful. So I can tell you about the good news and tell you that you need this good news because you are sinful. That is the new, I mean the gospel and the law. Or I could say you are a sinner and you need to be saved and I can give you the law and the gospel. But they complement each other. You cannot have one without the other, and the easy believism separates only one, okay? And so easy believism is a is deceitful. I'm sorry, she doesn't agree. <laughs> easy believism uh, can create issues. It fogs up the true message of the gospel, and it creates false converts. It gives a false sense of security. At that point, well, also what they teach is that Jesus Christ can I, can, I can be saved, I can believe, but I don't have to make him my Lord until later. So I can continue to do as I please, but once I'm ready to settle down and really begin to serve him, then he becomes my Lord. 
That's part of the easy believism, believism teaching. But the Bible says that today, no matter who you are, that He is Lord today. He is Lord in the past, and He'll be Lord in the future. You can't separate who Christ is, His attributes, His names, whatever. Christ is Lord, whether we like it or not. So when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you also accept Him as Lord, as God of, that is holy, God that is pure, that is amazing, that is graceful, that is merciful. You don't separate those things and accept them whenever you're ready for it. You take God completely as He is or you are serving a false God because the God of the Bible is Lord and He will always be Lord. So once you submit to Him, He is now your master. He bought you at the price. Okay, you can't choose when to become the slave. You are the slave as soon as you're purchased. And that's it. And Christ is Lord. And so that's the difference. The issue is this, is that we don't want to be accountable for our sin. We want both. We want to live in the flesh and we want to be saved. We want that free ticket into heaven. And that's why easy believism is so pleasing to the ear. Because I can live how I want and later let Christ become the Lord of my life. This teaching comes <clears throat> mainly through the Dallas Theological Seminary. They're very strong at this teaching. Um, so anyways, it's something to be aware of. Not everybody who comes from there teaches this, but there are some who do. So be cautious about that. And uh, I'm not uh, here pushing lordship, salvation, and things like that, those of you who are aware. But what I am saying is that Christ is Lord, and as soon as you're saved, He becomes your Lord. And we are his slaves, and he is the master. And I think that's the end of that conversation. And Because uh, you can swing extreme on this side, and you can swing extreme on this side. But at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Christ is Lord today. Okay? So that's why repentance, you need to repent of your sins. If you come to Christ with no repentance, then what are you being saved from? Nothing. Because you don't even know what you need to be saved from. Oh, yeah, I know there's a God. But you know what? Demons knew when Jesus came. They said, hey, what are you doing? They said, it's not even our time yet. What are you doing here? Even they knew who he was, okay? So, remember, repentance. If you don't hate your sin, you don't know that you're sinful, there's probably an issue with your salvation, okay? So again, very, very important. Repentance is key to salvation. You have to understand that. And we could, I could preach probably a day or two on that. But again, it's very important, so I wanted to slow down and at least give you a good introduction of easy believism. <clears throat> so, the full meaning of the gospel of God is found in the next verse, verse 15, right, where it says, And saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So we see John the Baptist, Christ and his disciples all preaching a message of repentance. The only difference between John's message and now Christ's message is that Christ says that the time is fulfilled. It is now. Okay? The phrase, the time is fulfilled, tells us that in the past, a date had been fixed for the public hearing of the king. Okay? <clears throat> this has now come to pass through Christ. This is now a turning point in history for the salvation message. Okay? 
We're transitioning from the shadow of Christ to the reality of Christ. Okay? You guys heard me use that example about uh, salvation, right? We don't go after shadows and things like that. Um, I typically use this example. It's typically easy to understand. But let's say one of your parents or a loved one was coming in on a plane. And as this person is coming out of the plane, you see them and you run up to them. And you're so excited to see them. You go and then all of a sudden you jump to the ground and start hugging their shadow. That's kind of ridiculous, right? But we do that sometimes. We go back and focus on the shadows, the things that have no meat in the Old Testament. But Christ now is the real thing. I'm going to hug Christ and not his shadow. So the shadows of the Old Testament are now being fulfilled in Christ. And now we have Christ as the substance, the full substance. Let's see here. All right, so <clears throat> the phrase time ful- to, uh, the, the phrase the time is fulfilled um, has a new meaning, right? It brings the hit, it is now a turning point in history for the salvation message. If we take a look at Galatians four four, you don't have to go there, but I'll go there. Um, Galatians four four. It says, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. So we see this change here. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse uh, 10. We see, for an administration of the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, Things in heavens and things on the earth. So we see the summing up of all things. These things coming to pass, right? This time is fulfilled. Christ has now arrived to redeem his people. A long-awaited-for event that is now taking place in this verse. Okay? They've been waiting for Christ, and now he is here. The messenger had arrived. He bridged the old and the new, and now Christ is on the scene. Okay? All sin, past, present, and future will soon be forgotten by the Father because of the arrival and then the sacrifice of the King Messiah. So amazing. God has come to deliver his persecuted people, judge the wicked, and establish an eternal kingdom on earth. The prophecies of the Old Testament of of the coming Messiah are now being fulfilled. The arrival of Christ and Him completing His sacrifice now makes us His children through adoption. Okay? The kingdom has now been initiated. We see this in this passage. The kingdom of God is at hand. One commentator says that the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed ought to be understood in three dimensions. As a spiritual kingdom, a millennial kingdom, and an eternal kingdom. Though it is invisible and spiritual in the present, it will one day be manifest as a physical, earthly kingdom. In his first coming, the king preached the good news of salvation. Consequently, he established his spiritual kingdom in the hearts of all who believe. Christ's kingdom is being advanced even now as sinners come to saving faith in him um, are transferred 
out of the domain of darkness and into the realm ruled by the Son of God. To follow Jesus Christ is to seek the expression and honor of His kingdom and His righteousness. Such is the spiritual and invisible sense of the kingdom. Okay? So, at the second coming, the king will establish his kingdom in a visible and temporal way on earth. And let's go to Revelations real quick. Revelation chapter 20. It's the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 20. And let's look at verses 1 through 6. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw into him the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were finished. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been uh, beheaded because of their witness of Jesus and because of the word of God, and who also had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no authority, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So we see that here. The kingdom will last for a thousand years. During that time, all of the millennial promises of the Old Testament will be literally fulfilled. Jesus Christ will reign as the king in Jerusalem, and the entire world will be under his rule. Um, after the millennial kingdom, God will inaugurate the final uh, eternal kingdom by creating a new heaven and new earth. You can see that in Revelation chapter 22, uh, where the triune God will reign forever. Um, in the present, the kingdom consists of all who embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you are a Christian and you profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you are part of the present kingdom. Okay, The king rules over, which is Christ, and is resident in the hearts of those who belong to him. Uh, his kingdom advances one soul at a time. It will continue until he returns to establish his earthly reign, followed by his eternal reign. So the message is to repent and believe in the gospel. <clears throat> so this is why we must repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, Repentance means turning away from sin. We saw that repentance is consistent in John, the Baptist, Christ, and his disciples' messages. <clears throat> Faith, or believe, means acknowledging dependence on God. Okay. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We see the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Now I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I proclaimed as good news to you, which also you received and which also you stand, 
by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word of which I proclaim to you as the good news, unless you believe for nothing. Um, this is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as first for importance of what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Okay, You see that Christ died for our sins. You see the, the law according to the scriptures. And then here's the new the gospel. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most whom remain until now. But some have fallen asleep. So the challenge for today is this. We see John the Baptist, Christ, the apostles, this message, the message of the gospel. What about us? Are we giving the gospel? Every time we have an opportunity, are we sharing that? Are we ashamed of the gospel? And what about those who have not been saved? Why do you reject the gospel, right? Why do you reject? You know the truth. You've heard the truth. But do not reject the gospel, So the challenge is, is that it is our turn to carry the baton. The apostles have set the foundation. Christ is the foundation. They, are the, 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 uh, they have set the foundation of the teachings and, the, and doctrine. And we are, as the church, to build upon it, okay, upon those teachings. And the main message is the gospel. What are we doing with the gospel? Don't be ashamed. Be firm. Be steadfast. Serve the master well. Preach in and out of season. Defend it. Proclaim it. These are all commandments. These aren't suggestions. This is commandments from the Lord. So that's our challenge. Don't be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God into salvation. It's what saved us. So we should not be ashamed, and we should continue as commanded in, in Matthew. Let's, let's turn there, and we'll finish with Matthew. Let's go to Matthew 28. We should continue the legacy, and Christ himself has actually passed this on. <clears throat> Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew 28. <coughs> <coughs> Let's go to verse 16, 28, 16, and we'll read through 20. It says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted, and Jesus came up and spoke to him, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are to make disciples. And remember, God is in control with every one of our lives. We see that with Christ. We see this with John the Baptist. We can now go back and look at all the apostles. And now we are the church, and Christ has 
power and sovereignty over the church and its people. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder of our position, Lord, that we are to carry on the gospel, Lord. It is our turn as a church, Lord, to preach the truth, to live out the truth, to draw people towards you, Lord. We thank you that you came and gave us the fullness of the gospel. We we no longer have to look back waiting for you to come, Lord, but now it has been fulfilled. 2,000 plus years later, here we are, Lord. I pray that you prick in our hearts, that we serve you well, that you give us opportunities, Lord, to proclaim your truth. And Lord, I just pray that uh, you work in all of our hearts, Lord, the saved and the unsaved. God, we just thank you for what you've done on the cross. You died for our sins. That you resurrected on the third day, conquering it, Lord, and having the power of eternal life. You now give that back to us, Lord. We now can live eternally with you and not condemned because of our sin. We thank you, Lord. We love you. I pray that we have a good week. I pray for those who are traveling, Lord, that you get them home safely. And those who are sick, Lord, that you, uh, that you heal them, Lord, that you be with them, Lord. We thank you. We love you. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen.